we have a choice to make. And the choice is follow God completely or don't follow him at all. There's really no gray area. It's not follow God a little bit. God doesn't want a little or even some of you. He wants all of you. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Not some of it, not a token gift, but all of it. He wants all of you. And so we make that choice. I either follow God or I don't. This is season eight of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional, no apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. God's holy word is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's word right now. Please remain standing for the reading of the gospel according to St. Mark. This is Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. Let's hear the word of the Lord for us today. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and must be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that are of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and for the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're continuing in our series, which is called Journey to the Cross. All throughout the Lenten season, we're going to be focused on the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, because it is in the cross that we find reconciliation. It is in the cross that we find our joy and our peace, because we have found our sin paid for, our whole debt canceled at the cross of Jesus Christ. The Lenten season is a season of preparation whereby we are focusing on the cross. A lot of people want to go beyond the cross, straight to the empty tomb. But without the, without the cross, there is no empty tomb. Without the death of Jesus, there's no resurrection. And so we have the cross. And some people don't like to look at it, and some people don't like to focus on it, but all throughout this Lenten season, we are going to be focused on the cross and following Jesus on his journey. His ministry began with his baptism, his temptation, his first uh, sermon that we saw last week. And 
it marches inexorably toward the cross of Calvary. So let us, uh, let's pray. Oh God, this is a hard teaching. And even the disciples didn't get it fully. But we live on this side of the cross. And so we have the benefit of learning from their mistakes. Send forth your Holy Spirit into our hearts and minds that we may read these words of yours and grow into the men and women that you call us to be. Let us live these words in Jesus' name. Amen. So this short passage, just, uh, just eight verses long, it contains some of the hardest teaching of Jesus. And yet, uh, a lot of times we just gloss over it. How many times do we use this phrase? Well, that's my cross to bear. Well, that's my cross to bear. And, and yet, it, we use it for such trivial nonsense. Oh, you know, I, I have to get up and go to work in the morning. I guess that's my cross to bear. Now, my cross to bear is the mountain of sin that I have accumulated against a holy God. That's my cross to bear. But I don't have to bear it. Jesus bore my cross. Jesus bore your cross. And that's the glory of the good news. That's what brings us to worship God every single week because we are in full understanding of just how much God gave up for us. And then we ask ourselves, well then, what am I willing to give up for him? Truly, what is my cross to bear? Jesus talks about the cross. Sometimes we gloss over it. Oh yeah, take up my cross, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I got to take up my cross. Okay, I got to take up my cross. That's what I got to do. I got to take, that's, if we fully understand what the cross is and what it signifies, understand that it is a symbol of not just death, but also the worst kind of humiliation that the, the Romans reserved this type of execution for only the worst of the worst. We talk about the thieves on the cross, the thief on the cross, but the, the word that is used for a thief is much worse than that. It's really more like a, an insurrectionist, someone who, who, has, who has killed somebody, a murderer. Rome only uses the cross to make an example. And that's what God did for us. He made an example of Christ. Christ became our sacrifice. We wear crosses to identify ourselves as, as Christians. But do we understand the weight of what it means? Every cross we wear as jewelry ought to weigh us down. The cross is a burden. The cross is death to ourselves. So that's what we're looking at in this series. We actually went over this whole passage back on uh, Transfiguration two, uh, Sunday just two weeks ago. Just two weeks ago. And the reason we went over this, it had nothing to do with the, the actual text for Transfiguration two, uh, Sunday was uh, chapter 9, the beginning of part of chapter 9, uh, verses 2 through 9. That's the tr Transfiguration account. But we went back to 
verse 27 in chapter 8, because that sort of sets up the context. And that's actually where I want to start today. Uh, verse 27, Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? Jesus is asking his disciples, What have you heard people say about me? Because some people might not say it directly to Jesus, or they may say one thing to Jesus, but they say something else behind his back. And so the disciples say to him, uh, they, John, they answer John the Baptist, but some say Elias and others one of the prophets. But then he turns the question around. First he said, who do men say that I am? Then he says, but whom say ye that I am? Who do you say that I am? What is your thinking? Who do you think that I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. Now, the whole idea of Jesus being the Messiah brings up a world of thoughts for the Jewish hearer. And so for a Jewish person to hear that Jesus is the Messiah, their first thought is, He's the conquering hero. He's going to deliver us from Rome. He's going to drive out the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to deliver us. Yes, he did. But he came to deliver us not from Rome, but from sin. He came to restore not the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God to establish it forever. And so he came for a reason that was so much greater than we as people could even imagine. And he knew that. And that's why it says he charged them that they should tell no man of him. So Peter says, you're the Christ. He says, yeah, I am. Don't tell anyone. Why? Because they might get the wrong idea. They might get the wrong impression and think the wrong thing of Christ. Now, this is, brings us to chapter, uh, verse 31. This is where we are today. He began to teach them. Now, again, he's teaching his disciples. He's teaching his disciples directly. He, he's not teaching large crowds of people. There might be some people milling around, but he's right now, he's, he's, he's sitting in a circle with his disciples, kind of like, come on, huddle up. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk. This is what we're going to talk about. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. Now he's talking openly because he's talking directly to his disciples and not to the crowds. When he's talking to the crowds, he teaches them in parables. And he teaches in parables for two reasons. Number one, for people who refuse to hear the word of God it's going to go right over their head and they're, going to, they're not going to get it. They're just not going to get it. But number two, for the people who are earnestly seeking a relationship with God, they are going to get it. That's what a parable is designed to do. When Jesus speaks in parables, he's reaching the people who want to be reached and he's going over the heads of those who really want nothing to do with them. 
you know. But to his disciples, he teaches them plainly. He spake that saying openly. What was it he said? Now, there's a couple of things here. The Son of Man, number one, the Son of Man. Who is the Son of Man? Why does he refer to himself as the Son of Man? Because he is pointing to this prophecy in Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's Jesus. Daniel didn't know that that was Jesus when he wrote that. That was his vision. He saw one like a son of man. And so whenever the Jews heard the phrase son of man, they knew that this is who is being spoken of. So Jesus said, the son of man must, must. Such a little word, isn't it? Must. But with so much weight, it is absolutely of a necessity. It has to happen. It's not optional. It must be done. When he met the, uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, and they were grieving, and he said, well, what's the matter with you guys? And they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened? What things? Well, about our leader. You know, we thought he was the Messiah, but they have put him to death. And now our own women have astonished us because they came and said that he has risen from the dead. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he's saying this must happen. Now, again, to those disciples, he said, wasn't it necessary? Didn't it have to happen? That was after the crucifixion. That was after the resurrection. But now this is to the disciples and he's telling them what has to happen. What must happen? The son of man must. Must what? He must suffer many things. He must suffer many things. Uh, Jesus came to suffer for our sakes. He's the suffering servant from Isaiah chapter uh, 52 and 53. In uh, Isaiah 53 and verse 5, that says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. He came to suffer for our sakes. So he had to undergo great suffering. He must suffer great things, suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes. The people were going to reject him, just as Moses was rejected frequently after leading the people out of slavery in Egypt. So Jesus must be rejected by the people. Again, in Isaiah, we, we, he, we esteemed him not. He was rejected by his own people. 
you know, and uh, the, uh, the, the disciples and especially Peter loved to uh, quote Psalm 118 that says that the, the, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone that the builders, the chief priests, the, the ruling class rejected, they rejected him has become the chief cornerstone, has become the foundation of this new expression of faith in God through Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation, even though he was rejected. So he must undergo great suffering. He must be rejected by the elders. And he must be killed because Jesus is the sacrificial paschal lamb of God. He's both the burnt offering and the scapegoat. What does that mean? In the book of Leviticus, it describes the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, they would take, the chief priest would take two goats, okay? And on both of them, he would lay his hands on their head and impart the entire sins of the nation on both of them. And one of them, would be a burnt offering. He would die for the sins of the people because, as we read in Hebrews, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Something has to die in order to pay for our sins. That's how serious sin is. In order to reconcile us to himself, God demands a sacrifice. And so there's this burnt offering that pays for our sins. However, on the other one, the other goat, you're going to love this, the word is scapegoat. This is where the word scapegoat came from. Because the, the goat didn't sin, but he carries the weight of our sin upon him. He becomes the scapegoat. They lead him out into the wilderness. They let him go free, never to return. Jesus is both the burnt offering that atones for our sins through his sacrifice, and he is the scapegoat because upon him was laid our sin and he carried it away from us. He went into the wilderness, he took it away from us. John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the scapegoat. He died for our sakes not because of his sin, but because of ours. So he must undergo great suffering. He must be rejected by the elders. He must be killed. And after three days, rise. The sign of Jesus' power will be in his resurrection. In his death, we are offered restoration. In his resurrection, we are offered eternal life. Okay, so he's saying all this, and he's saying it very openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I don't know about you. I can be very judgmental of Peter because Peter makes a lot of missteps and mistakes. The fact of the matter is, I have done this, okay? And I'd be willing to bet that at some point in your life, maybe you have too, okay? To question God's motives, to say, are you really sure about this, God? Is this really the best way to do this? This is what Peter says, uh, we don't know exactly what Peter said, just that he rebuked Jesus. Jesus, don't say that. Don't say that you're going to die. I mean, we're, we're gathering a following. Nobody's going to follow somebody who's going to die. 
You know, that's, you know, that's like, <laughs> I don't know, putting all your money on the Cleveland Browns, right? Uh, who's going to do that? You know that they're going to lose at the end of the year. Well, maybe not next year. Who knows? But Jesus is saying he's going to be betrayed. He's going to die. And after three days, rise again. You'd think they'd focus on that, but they only focus on the death. And so Peter says, don't tell people you're going to die. That's just going to bring everybody down. It's going to drive people away. You want more people, right? You want more people to come. You want to gather. You want crowds, large crowds. Well, that's a worldly way of thinking about it. And so rightly, Jesus said to him, get thee behind me, Satan. This is the same guy who just called him the Messiah like three verses before. Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that are of God, but the things that be of men. He says, you're focusing on the things of the world. You're not focusing on, God has a plan and we don't necessarily understand it. And we think that we know better than God, but God is eternal and he's infinite and he knows. He knows what's going on. And he is in complete control. He is sovereign. But, you know, I admit it. I have done it. God, what are you doing? Come on. Get with the program. <laughs> you know? God in his infinite mercy has not struck me dead for saying that. <laughs> but, but, you know, and then I eventually come around. That's the important thing because he knows. He knows. All right. He's crying out in grief. He's, he's, Peter is just saying a thing, but he's, he's got to be corrected. And that's what he does. He corrects him. Get behind me, Satan. You have your fo you're focusing on the things of the world. You're not focusing on the things of God. So now, verse 34, when he had called the people unto him. Now he's, he's not just talking to the disciples, but he's bringing everybody in. Everybody, come on in. Come on in. I'm going to talk to you all. This is what he says. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, there is a lot in that verse. And the first thing I want to show you is this. Whosoever. There's two words here. Whosoever and let. Okay. God doesn't force us to love him. God doesn't force us to follow him. God doesn't make us do anything we don't want to do. He gives us a choice. He's offering us a choice. And so he says, whosoever, whosoever, anybody who wants to come may come. But if they want to come, then they have to make this choice. Let them, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Okay? We have a choice. See, God could make us worship him. God could make us love him. But instead, he offers us a choice. And everybody who's sitting here and under the sound of my voice has made a choice. A choice to follow God through Jesus Christ. And people who are sitting at home, or I saw a number of joggers on the road today, 
Those people have made a choice too. They have chosen to do their own thing and not follow God. We all have a choice. We make a conscious decision to follow God or don't follow God. This is what, this is what uh, Moses said in, at the end of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, he said to the people, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, if you obey, because it's your choice, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. See, we have a choice. We have a choice to make. And the choice is follow God completely or don't follow him at all. There's really no gray area. It's not follow God a little bit. God doesn't want a little or even some of you. He wants all of you. That's why, that's why in Deuteronomy chapter 6 it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Not some of it, not a token gift, but all of it. He wants all of you. And so we make that choice. I either follow God or I don't. It's either or. This is what he says. If you want to follow me, if you want to become my follower, let him deny himself. To deny ourselves is to deny our sinful nature. We desire sin, but we have to give that part of ourselves up. We deny ourselves. Through the season of Lent, we are denying ourselves through fasting and prayer. And we're, we're, we're denying our sinful flesh to get closer to God in our spirit. So we could deny ourselves and, and what? Take up their cross. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. What a scandalous statement that is. Take up his cross. You want me to go and march to my death again? The cross is an instrument of execution for the worst of the worst, and it is a humiliating way to die. Publicly, naked, for all to see, gasping for your last breath, tortured to death in front of everybody. It's not a desirable way to die, you know? So we have to put to death that sinful part of ourselves. We mortify the flesh to give birth to the spirit. We put to death our sinful selves. We die on the cross of Jesus and we are reborn in his resurrection. So deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And this is the promise. This is the promise of Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't just send us to our destruction. He goes before us into battle. That's the promise of Jesus. He's saying, you know what? You need to deny yourself and take up your cross. But he says, follow me because I'm already doing it. I'm denying myself. I already took up my cross. Now follow me and do the same. That's what he's saying. He's not saying for us to do something that he wouldn't already do for us or something that he hasn't already done, but something that he's doing for us even today and something he already did for us 2,000 years ago. 
Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, he says. Then he gives us this little bit. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the, and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, I mean, who here would willingly sell their eyes for a million dollars? You know, that doesn't make any sense. Nobody would do that. Nobody would willingly give up their own vision for money. What would you give for your life? What would you would exchange for your very eternal soul? That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to gain your life, you must lose it for the sake of the gospel. That's what he's saying. For what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? See, Jesus, like Moses, is setting before the people life and death. We must choose. Again, in Deuteronomy, in chapter 30 now, Moses says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and a curse. Therefore, choose life. <laughs> Such a simple statement, right? Choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. God gives us a choice. Every day we make choices. We choose to get out of bed or sleep the whole day away. We choose to do our chores or let the house go. We choose to go to work or call out sick. But the most important choice we will ever make is to follow Jesus or follow the world. Because if we're not following Jesus, we are denying him. That's our choice. The world looks pretty on the outside, but beneath the thin veneer is darkness, despair, and death. The world entices us with petty things and leaves us wanting more, only to pull the carpet out from underneath our feet. We will never find satisfaction in the things of the world. But for those of us who follow Christ, we find that there is ultimate satisfaction in the eternal one who gave us life. We find that we follow a God who loves us so completely that he was willing to die for our mistakes so that we could be reconciled to him forever. What does the world promise? An empty wallet, shattered dreams, but what God sets before us is life and death, and he asks us to choose. That's what it means to deny ourselves. That's what it means to take up our cross. When we follow Jesus, we are putting our old nature to death, never more to rise. And in choosing death for our old nature, we are choosing eternal life for our souls. As we continue this Lenten journey to the cross, I implore you to choose life to the glory of God the Father. Let us pray. Almighty God, we, we want to choose the right. We want to choose you. And every day we are filled with choices. And honestly, Lord, sometimes those choices are wrong. 
we just, we need your spirit to be upon us, to guide us to do the right and, and to remind us, Lord, of all the great things that you have for us. There's so many things that, that you offer to us that is so much greater than everything that the world has to offer. The least of all that you have to offer to us is greater than the greatest thing that the world can ever offer. And so we choose life. And you know, there might be somebody even today, you know, within the hearing of my voice who, who hasn't made that choice and, and needs to make that choice today and knows it and is convicted and, and the, the Holy Spirit is, is hammering on them right now. Help them to make that choice. And if they don't know how to make that choice, maybe they could just start by, just by praying a prayer like, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I'm helpless. I know that I've, 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 I've sinned against you and I've separated myself from you. But you loved me so much that you sent your son and so I rely on him. I trust in Jesus for my salvation, not in my own goodness because I have none. But I, I trust in Jesus and his righteousness. He bore my sins on the cross. And so I pray, Lord, that I can be reconciled to you and, and and, and enter into a relationship with you, that you could be my God, you could be my Lord, you could be my friend, you can, you can restore me and help me to be the man or woman that you have called me to be. And so, Lord, I just pray for anybody who might be praying that prayer today that your Holy Spirit would encourage them to, to know that you love them and to know that you are are guiding them into a new way. This is, a, this is very good news, Lord, that you offer us eternal life in your Son. Help us to make that choice, to deny ourselves, to take up the cross and follow you. All this we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Guerrilla Christianity. My hope and prayer is that this time of listening to and learning from God's Word has blessed you as much as it has blessed me putting this message together. And God has also blessed me in appointing me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pedricktown. If you don't have a church family to call your own and you live in the area, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. We are a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, Christ-adoring faith community in the heart of New Jersey's farmland. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We also have Bible study during the week. And right now during the COVID-19 crisis, we are meeting exclusively online through Facebook Live and we'd be happy for you to join us wherever you are. Of course, if you don't live nearby, get involved with the church where you are. We are not called to be Christians in isolation, but in community. So I would encourage you to live out your faith with a group of like-minded believers wherever you are. Now, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, please share it with your friends and family. Hit like, leave a comment, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Guerrilla Christianity. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until next time, remember this, Christ died for you. Now go live for Christ. <laughs>